So before we go to our letter um, in Revelation, and we're just going to recap as we're going through um, these letters and see what we remember about what we've heard so far. So just as a reminder, um, Revelation is written by John, and John was in prison on the island of Patmos, and his crime was being a follower of Jesus, preaching the gospel. So he was in chains for, for his service to Jesus. And he has this amazing encounter with Jesus. And in chapter one of Revelation, he describes this encounter and this vision of the risen triumphant Jesus. And then he has a revelation of these letters that Jesus writes to the seven churches. So, so far, we've looked at the letters to the church in Ephesus, to Smyrna and to Pergamon, that we can, uh, again, reflect on what Jesus is saying to us through um, letters that he wrote to the seven churches. Also, in each of the letters, Jesus reveals some of himself to the church, and from that vision in one, he pulls out different parts and describes himself in those ways as he writes to the church. And I won't ask you to try and remember them, but I'll just um, remind you of how Jesus um, described himself to each of the churches. So for Ephesus, um, he says, words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven lampstands. And so here the meaning Jesus was pulling out was um, Jesus protects and his presence with us. And in Smyrna, um, he says, these are the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. And so Jesus is confirming his identity as our eternal saviour. And then to Pergamum, he says, these are the words of him who has the sharp two edged sword. And we had a long discussion in our home group this week about that, the, the two-edged sword, the um, meaning that Jesus is the word of God and the power that that has um, to separate um, truth from um, untruth and from sin, from holiness and the impact that that can have on our lives. So today we're looking at the letter to Thyatira. And I'm going to ask Judy um, to read us the passage. So it's in Revelation chapter 2, and we're reading verse 18 to verse 29. So, Judy, over to you. Thank you. To the church in Thyatira, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, 
to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and, and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you, Judy. Yeah, let's just pause and pray. Father, we thank you um, for this passage. We thank you for this letter that Jesus wrote to the, the church in Thyatira. Lord, I pray that today you would speak to us as we sit here. Father, that your spirit would speak into our lives to what you're saying, what your heart is, what your character is, what you call us to. Father, we just submit to you and pray that it would be your spirit and you that speaks to us as we listen. Father, use me, remove my words and replace them with what you would say. Amen. So I don't know about you, but that's um, quite a powerful message, not the kind of letter I want to receive in the post or in my email these days. Um, but it's the, the letter that Jesus wrote. Um, so as we start to look into it, um, just want to focus first on, again, who it is that's writing the letter, which part of the revelation that Jesus um, highlights of himself when he's writing to this church. And so in verse 18, it says, um, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So here Jesus is clearly stating that he is the son of God, that he is God. He has the same characteristics and nature as the father. He's saying, my eyes are like a flame of fire. And this signifies um, the penetrating, piercing, perfect knowledge that Jesus has, um, the insight that he has into us as people, as us as a church. Um, he's the one that searches hearts and minds. Um, so it's not about the outward appearance as we learned so much about in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's about our hearts. And Jesus is reminding the church that he is the one that I see your heart. I know your thoughts. I know your heart. And then there's this phrase about having feet like burnished bronze. And when bronze is used as a symbol in the Bible and when it's referred to, it's symbolizing strength and steadiness, the steadfastness of God. And it's also used to symbolize judgment in the same sense of I've got the perfect knowledge and I can bring perfect judgment. And so that's this steady, steadfast, never changing God who can search our hearts who can know us who sees us and who is the one who will bring the judgment and so Jesus is writing this right at the beginning as he writes to the church to say this is this is who I am this is who's writing to you if we just reflect on 
on those characteristics of Jesus. Um, yeah, he's the one that that knows and sees everything. He has perfect knowledge and insight into us. Where where others, our friends, our family, they may make assumptions about our motives, about what we're thinking, about why we're doing something. But Jesus sees the truth in us. Now, if you're anything like me, that could be a scary thought, uh, a bit of a oh wow. I can I can put on you know a good face to people, but Jesus sees sees everything, um, and He knows what I'm really thinking. Even when I'm self-controlled enough not to say it, He knows what I'm um, yeah really doing when I um, override my feelings and my thoughts and my emotions and put on a good face. Um, Jesus knows and sees. So yeah, we could feel overwhelmed by that. Um, and it could make us feel, um, yeah, small or oh, I don't want to, I don't want to know this God. I don't, I want to be able to hide things from, from him. I don't want people to see right into me. But actually, I'd rather look at it the way that David did. Um, so David um, started his life as a shepherd boy, had this amazing connection with God. He was a worshipper. Um, he wrote many of the Psalms. And um in Psalm 139, um, it's a very famous passage, but in verse 23 to 24, he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. And so actually, the fact that Jesus is the all-knowing, all-seeing is reassuring for us. And actually, we should come before him and say God I'm glad that you know everything about me ring it up help me to deal with this so that you may lead me in the way of everlasting the way that follows you rather than the way that follows me and my thoughts and my desires but God search me so that I may get rid of everything that is unpleasing to you and um yeah we're going to come back to that that thought later as we go through um, the letter but let's turn to to Thyatira so that's who was writing the letter who was it written to so it's written to the church in Thyatira which as we've seen with the other churches um, these are all cities in what's now modern day Turkey this was the smallest um, of the cities of the letters even though the letter's the longest so um, there's a lot that Jesus had to say to them and it was on the trade route um, that the other cities um, that are in the, the these letters were on and it was famous for its cloth buying especially the purple cloth and actually Lydia who is mentioned in the New Testament um, when Paul Silas and Timothy visit her in Philippi she was originally from Thyatira and she was she's commented and mentioned as trading in purple cloth um, and this was the hub the, the commercial center for trading in in this um, cloth and Lydia may have been the one that took the the gospel to Thyatira we um we don't actually know but we know that she was a prominent um follower of Jesus from this place there's also many other um trades and um industries within Thyatira so people were trading in wool and textiles and leather and pottery and all sorts of different crafts and culturally, it was a pagan place, so it was not uh, 
a city that was following Jesus. There were Christians there, but it was very much a place where pagan worship was prominent. And um, it's said to have had a work hard, play hard ethos. Um, so there was commercial prosperity, but there was lots of engaging in revelry. They would host lavish feasts. Um, and if you were in a certain trade, you would belong to a guild for that trade. And there would be a feast for that guild. And during that, um, there would be worship of other gods. There would be worship of Caesar. There would be drink. There would be sex. There would be idolatry. Um, all sorts of activities would come as part of being a part of that guild and part of that trade. So for Christians in this city, they didn't face the persecution that we've seen in other places, but there was this constant temptation to revert back to the ways of the world, to indulge in these ungodly behaviors and to be tempted to compromise um, by the comforts, um, by the social requirements, by the good life um, for what they would, um, what was promised by engaging in this sort of behavior. And indeed the reverse, if you refused to engage in these things, then you would be thrown out of the trade guild. So you basically would be unemployed. You couldn't operate in that trade unless you belonged to the guild. So if you stood for something morally and you weren't prepared to compromise and to worship and to engage um, in, in these practices, you would be, be thrown out of essentially your job. So it was a price that they had to pay, even if it wasn't direct persecution. Um, so you can see, as we go through the message that Jesus had to the church, this is the background and this is what the believers and the followers of Jesus were facing at the time. What did Jesus have um, to say? Uh, the one that sees all. What did he see about the church in Thyatira? So in verse 19, it says, um, it says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So if I was reading the letter, I think I'd like to stop there. That's a wonderful commendation. I thank you, Jesus. You know, we're doing well, good works, love, faith, service, patience, all these wonderful things. Um, and interestingly, that what they're doing now, their latter works exceed what they did at the beginning. Um, so almost in contrast to Ephesus, where um, their love had diminished and they'd lost their first love. Here in Thyatira, they were building up their love and their faith and their service and their endurance. Um, and surely that's that's what we want uh, for us, that we're doing more. We're loving Jesus more passionately now than we did when we first met him, that our faith and our belief in him, our service to him, our endurance of what we face is stronger now than when we first became Christians. However, they didn't have long to get comfortable with, with that message from Jesus because the one that sees everything then goes on to say, like in most of his letters, in verse 20, he says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Okay, so this bit isn't quite so good. <laughs> um, the works were commendable, um, but they were, were led astray. Um, they loved Jesus, that wasn't in doubt. Um, 
like you said, their, their works, their love, their faith was all there, but they were being led astray by this woman Jezebel. So who is this woman Jezebel? Well, most likely it's comparing her um, to a person in the Old Testament called Jezebel, um, who was a very unsavory character. Um, so she was the wife of King Ahab. And we're gonna hear from Nita to hear a little bit more about um, what these two people in the Old Testament were like. So Nita, over to you. So the title is Ahab Becomes King of Israel. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered, considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and he began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Thanks, Nita. So that's just a flavour of what Ahab and Jezebel were like. So Ahab did more evil in the sight of God than any other king before him. And then he married Jezebel, who led him away from worshipping the one true God to worship Baal and to do all sorts of practices of um, idolatry to other gods. Um, and actually a number of times in the Bible, um, worshipping of other gods is often called spiritual adultery because we're not being faithful to the one true God. So you can see here, Jezebel was having this influence over King Ahab. She was enticing him to commit sexual immorality and to offer food to idols. And we can see that that's the exact thing that um, Jesus is writing to the church in Thyatira about. Also, interestingly, and we'll come back to this, but Ahab did, does have an encounter with God um, through the prophet Elijah in Kings 21 and has the opportunity and repents of what he's done. Um, but while he was with Jezebel, he was tempted sin against God and he gave in to those temptations. So just back to our letter for today. Yeah, the sins that are mentioned are worshipping idols and sexual immorality. And the church in Thyatira, Jesus is calling them out for their literal sins. Um, like I said about the trade guilds of engaging in these festivities and worshipping of idols and committing sexual immorality. Um, and it was common um, throughout the city. And, and Jezebel, this woman uh, being referred to as Jezebel, was um, enticing them to do this. Now, most of the commentators think that this lady wasn't actually called Jezebel because much like we probably wouldn't call somebody Hitler or Judas today. These name, this name Jezebel meant someone who entices um, and leads you into sin. 
um, and so it was often referred to um, in that way when someone was portraying those characters you would put on them the name Jezebel. So as we're thinking about Jezebel seducing the Christians in Thyatira, as I was reflecting on this it reminded me of the serpent in Genesis who entices Eve and Adam to eat the fruit. So in this encounter, God, um, in this encounter, the serpent twists God's words. We can find it in Genesis 3, verse 3, and it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And it goes on and we know the encounter with Eve and how um, she takes the, the, the fruit and then Adam eats the fruit and, and what happens from the consequences of that. But this serpent is referred to as cunning um, and seducing and enticing um, humanity into sinning. And that wasn't what God said, as we know in that um, creation story. God didn't say that you can't eat of any fruit, but by twisting it. Uh, the serpent was enticing and uh, engaging in a conversation with, with Eve. Um, and so in Thyatira with this Jezebel, she was seducing people with the allure of personal pleasure and economic gain, social status, and was leading them into sin. And for us today, what, the, what do these sins mean? Um, we've talked a little bit about, about that already. Um, but just some things that I want to highlight. Um, and we know from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching that there's a whole host of sexual sin and sexual immorality. And Jesus challenges us that even by looking at a woman lustfully, you're committing adultery. So again, we're being challenged that this is sin of our heart just as much as it is a sin of our behavior. And the same with idolatry. We may not be putting out Asherah poles and worshipping Baal at big festivals, but what are we doing and what do we have in our life that turns our affection, our worship from Jesus and turns it towards something else? Where are we worshipping idols in our life? Where are we committing that spiritual adultery and turning away from Jesus? Those are the sins that are mentioned, but if we look really carefully at the verse, what's the specific thing that Jesus is saying? And he says that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants. So, yes, the sin is bad, but Jesus is calling this church out for them tolerating this. Let's think about the word tolerate. We're not dealing with something. Their tolerance had led to compromise. We can think about the, um, to help us understand this word tolerate, if you think about um, allergies, lots of people have food allergies now. And the doctors will now say that don't fully eliminate the food stuff that you're allergic to because then you will become intolerant completely and it will worsen. But while there's a little bit, just drip feed a little bit of that, that food stuff in your diet, you'll learn to tolerate it on a small level. And so if we flip that round the other way, actually to remove something completely is the only way we will become intolerant. <laughs> and in this case, this is what Jesus is calling us to. He doesn't want us to tolerate sin. The more we keep those little things 
going and ignore them and tolerate them, we build up resistance almost in a in a bad way. We it doesn't affect us anymore. Um, and actually, Jesus here is saying, no, you need to deal with it. Don't tolerate it. If you tolerate it, it's going to cause havoc. What I'm calling you to is purity, to holiness, to following me and to root it out and to yeah, be free from that sin. So yeah, Jesus is challenging them that, that they didn't challenge Jezebel. They allowed Jezebel to entice, to bring this immorality in, and she was causing havoc. And it's not just Jezebel that will be judged for what was done, and even those that followed Jezebel into those acts, but it was the church who tolerated it. So if we do just think specifically about those sins of sexual immorality, and if we think about our society today, we've already shared some examples, but it's prolific in our society. Christian values, morals have been rejected in general by society in favor of personal gratification and no absolute truth. And if we take the recent Matt Hancock debacle, there was more outrage about breaking of COVID rules than about the adultery. Even a prominent bishop in the Anglican church said he was more concerned about the COVID rule breaking than any question around adultery. And it's not just in our society. I think that shows, you know, it, it's the mentality in our churches as well so often that we tolerate sin, especially sexual sin, often because we don't want to offend. But that isn't what Jesus is asking us. And we see so starkly in this letter, here Jesus is very strong about his judgment when we tolerate sexual sin. And that's really sobering thought for us. And this isn't about judging the world. It's not about um, yeah, bringing that judgment, but it's ensuring that as a church, as followers of Jesus, as people committed to worshiping God with our lives, that we are remaining faithful to his commands and we're not tolerating things that Jesus hates. So let's not be like those in Thyatira and tolerate things and practices that draw us away from God and compromise our worship of him. In James 4 verse 4, um, James puts it like this, um, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And here this isn't talking about um, uh the people of the world we're called to to love the world we're called to bring jesus's um truth and freedom to the world and we're called to be salt and light into the world this is talking about the things of the world we're called to be different and that's what james is illustrating in this passage and the bible warns us that it only takes a little bit of yeast to raise a whole batch of bread and that that's a warning that that leaving sin unattended, tolerating sin, leaving it unaddressed, can have an impact on the whole body of Christ. So let's look um, at the judgment Jesus writes in this letter. In verse 21, he says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed 
and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. So we've already touched on this, but here Jesus, on who will be judged. And Jesus here says, Jezebel is going to be judged, the one who's directly leading people astray. Jezebel's children, and that means those who have followed her into sin. And also the church who tolerate the sin and allow Jesus' disciples to be led astray. If we look at the actual judgment, um, here the word that's used for sickbed is the same Greek word that's used in the Gospels to describe the bed that the paralytic man is um, laying on when his friends lay, lower him through the roof. Um, and in, in this letter, Jesus may be giving a warning um, of literal punishment that this woman would face and that she would be stricken with illness so that she could no longer cause havoc. Or it could be a figurative picture of her being stopped from what she's doing and ultimately facing judgment and eternal punishment and that separation from God. Whichever way, it's a stark warning that there are severe consequences for not dealing with sin. And the bit I want to focus here is the opportunity that Jesus gives us for repentance. Even Jezebel, he said he gave her the time to repent, but she refused. And Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for our sin, and he took the punishment for our sin. And what he calls us to is repentance. And God lavishes his grace on us, but he calls us to repentance. And in Romans 2 verse 4, it says, or do you presume on the riches of his, of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This is a verse that James often quotes um, and encourages us with, but it's, um, yeah, it's there to show that we're not to presume on God's grace. We're not to take advantage of the grace and the lavish love of God that he has for us, but it should make us take a, a deep breath and, and, and repent and, and like, like David, search our heart God's, hearts, God. And when we have revealed things, we repent. Um, even King Ahab, like I said, was given time to repent and the, with punishment was withheld. Um, God is our loving father and he wants what is best for us. And it's his kindness that enables us to repent. Because he knows that what we were created for was to follow him and to be free from sin. And those things that entangle us and the things of this world that we get caught up with, that's not what we're made for. Paul goes on to say in Romans 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And so yeah, we need to search our hearts. And again, this isn't talking about when um, when we sin, um, uh, as we all do. Um, on a daily basis this is talking about those patterns of sin and those things that we allow into our lives to take hold and that we aren't prepared to give up Jesus is saying no like God just search our hearts search our hearts search me God know me 
show me anything that's offensive that I may be led in your everlasting way. So that's the heavy bit of the letter over. Now to the uplifting end <laughs> there as, uh, as we come in to finish. But in verse 24, Jesus says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him, I will give authority over the nations and he will rule with them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So there is a prize for those who hold firm to Jesus' teaching. Jesus also is giving us the promise here, but not everybody was giving in to tolerating um, Jezebel and the sins um, of the society around them. There were those who were holding firm to Jesus. And here Jesus is saying, I'm not going to put anything extra on you. There's no extra burden. Simply follow me. And as his faithful followers, we're given his authority here on earth. And we see that in Jesus' teaching that we're able to, to bind and to loose the things um, that are bound and loose in heaven. And we can see that happen on earth. And Jesus gives us his authority when he goes back to be with the Father, the Holy Spirit. We can, yeah, we can operate in his authority here on earth. And he also give us, gives us the promise that those who hold firm will sit with him on his throne and will judge the nations and will be with, with him. And there's a, there's a phrase here, the morning star, I want to just pick up on. And so it says, I will give to them the morning star. Now there's actually um, a reference to, to Satan being the morning star in Isaiah 14, verse 12. And it says, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth you who once laid low the nations. But here Jesus isn't talking about Satan. There's many, many other references to the morning star being Jesus himself. Later on in Revelation, in Revelation 22, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you above these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And Peter gives us um, the prophetic word about what's to come. And he says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to the lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. And so what Jesus is saying in this to this letter is saying Satan is an imitator. What you're being allured to these of Satan it's an imitation of what is true and I am the true morning star I am your prize hold firm to me hold firm stick to my teachings worship me alone and your prize is me your prize is me now on earth but your prize is me forever in eternity 
And for me, that's quite overwhelming. Just like <laughs> we're sharing with the worship, but that concept that holding firm to Jesus, he's not going to put any other burden on us, but that we get him. And so just as we finish, let's go back to that verse in Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we just thank you for your word, your truth. Thank you for these letters, Jesus, that you wrote to your churches. God, help us to be individuals who pray for you to search us, that we might deal with any offensive way that's found in us. And God, may we as a church be a church that prays to you and asks you to search us, find any offensive way in us that we may seek your repentance, be purified and follow your way of everlasting life. Show us where we tolerate things that bring you sadness, that you hate, that you, that are broken and we accept them, Father. Show us how to be that salt and light to the world, that we might be different, that we might show the morning star, the glorious Jesus to the world. Thank you, Father, that you, through your kindness, give us time to repent. Help us be those that do repent. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Amen.